This podcast is called Obsessed. Joseph Scrimshaw and his guest get some secrets off their chest. You should listen. It's the best. Hello and welcome to Obsessed with me, Joseph Scrimshaw. I'm sitting in my home with a great guest. She is a dancer, a stage manager, a historic house manager, and the other person who lives in this house. It is once again, Sarah Scrimshaw. Hello, it's me. It is. (laughs) I wanted to say you're back, but you live here, so you're always not back. You're always here. Uh, yeah, but I'm back. I'm back, back to talking in front of a microphone. I'm here. I mean, I do sometimes leave the house. You do sometimes leave yeah. the house, even more than me. Yeah. I mean, a lot more than like, me, Like, basically daily. <laughs> basically. Beyond basically daily. Yes. Anyway, well, thank you for joining me for a, another episode of Obsessed. Uh, and I wanted to give a brief message uh, to regular listeners of Obsessed. Uh, there have been several episodes lately where Sarah and I have uh, had a chat about something that we are obsessed with or one of us is obsessed with, or we've been doing a lot more uh, pop culture review type episodes. And I just wanted to let regular listeners know I am going to continue to do the standard obsessed episode where uh, I interview someone who doesn't actually live in this home. Uh, But I am really, really busy lately, and it's just been a challenge to get people booked and to keep up with it every week. And I really enjoy talking with you, Sarah, and everything that I've heard from the listeners. They enjoy us talking together and then them listening, which is how podcasts work. (laughs) And, you know, podcasts evolve over time. So uh, it's one of the nice things about them that they can change. And you don't have to, you know, ask a council of elders for permission to change. So I think there'll probably be a few more episodes going forward where you and I have a chat or talk about a pop culture thing. And then there'll continue to be episodes where uh, I talk to other guests. Sounds great. <laughs> Good. You are not mad. You're not going to be the Council of Elders and say I'm no to this. I'm not the Council of Elders saying nay. Nay, nay. Awesome. Well, with that programming note out of the way, let's get into your obsession, which you have been kindly sharing with me, and that is wine. Wine. <laughs> so can you tell people a little bit about where we went this weekend? Sure. So we went to a town here in California called Solvang. And Solvang is um, in, I guess I'm not sure technically if it's Southern California or Central California, but you know, in that area, near Santa Barbara, if you know where Santa Barbara is. And it is a Danish town. It was settled by Danish uh, immigrants who live in the Midwest and they wanted to have a Danish style town and they really leaned into that Danish style. Uh, So a lot of the buildings are made to look like... uh, oldie time Denmark basically (laughs) like there's a lot of windmills and half timbered houses and things like that but it's also in the middle of one of the areas of wine country here in California in the middle of the Santa Ynez Valley and so it's also become a place where there's a lot of uh, tasting rooms and so it's this weird wonderful mixture of a very specific style of architecture a lot of Danish bakeries and a lot of wine tasting yeah to me it felt like Disneyland, because the all of the different, uh, you know, fun architecture made it feel like you're in a different magical place. Mm-hmm. It was like Disneyland, if Disneyland was mostly about pastries and wine. Which, you know, Disneyland could open that version of itself. <laughs> Disneyland should look into that. <laughs> uh, so we, of course, went to some of the wine tasting rooms. We and did. I learned a lot. Good. <laughs> I expected, uh, I told you this in person, I expected all wine tasting rooms to be like classes. You had to mm-hmm. like sit down with 12 people and give answers. So the fact that it was just you walk into a space and people pour you a bunch of wine and you taste it, yeah. that was a beautiful revelation. Yay! <laughs> and it gave me uh, more appreciation uh, just in general for wine. We are sipping some wine right now. Do you want to tell people about what that is? So the wine that we're drinking is one that I was kind of excited to come back and try after this weekend of a little bit more intense wine tasting than we've had the chance to do before. This is um, a wine... Also from California, from Mendocino County, I'm going to say. And it's a red blend. And I was curious to come back and smell it. The name of the wine might be helpful. Uh, It's Owl's Lair. I'm going to stick my nose in it right now. Stick your nose in it. Tell us what you think. Mm, It smells like wine. (laughs) Is that what you learned? (laughs) No. there's No, I mean, I I do not have the greatest, most sensitive uh, palate, and I'm not good at smelling. I don't have a good sense of smell, but I do have a good sense of taste, and it is very fruity with a uh, dry, earthy finish, and I enjoy that. Yay! Do you want to know a funny thing that I was reading? So I was doing a little reading about wine tasting, and somebody, I don't know, a little while ago decided or like did research and figured out that they're like your normal smellers, your... um, 
oh, what was the original word for it? Like super smellers? Super smellers. And then you're like less than smellers. Basically. Oh, I'm a less than. Yeah. And it was like 25% are less than, 50% are regular, and 25% are super smellers. Uh, but then they decided that that was not maybe the nicest use of language. <laughs> so they've changed it to um, hyper smelling and hypo smelling. <laughs> mm, that's not better. I don't think that's better. So am I a hypo smeller? Is if you're that... if you're like yeah i am a subpar i am you're I, a sub smeller i prefer the term shitty smeller i'm <laughs> bad at smelling yeah they can't say that they people. can't sell that say that they can't sell that either no they can't say that or sell that but uh the the just that whole experience made me think it would be great to talk to you about wine because you are legitimately obsessed yeah <laughs> yes, I am. You have had moments in life of being legitimately obsessed. Absolutely. So let's go back to the beginning. Yes. When you were a child. Yes. No. Uh, what What were your first memories or awareness of wine? Honestly, I was just thinking about this um, moments before as we sat down going, oh, I should have thought about this. I don't remember. I mean, so probably um, uh, I, I grew up sometimes going to church and so communion wine was probably honestly the first wine oh yeah um so that was around and certainly like my parents or relatives or friends um i was not given wine but i saw it around um i don't remember the first wine that i had isn't that weird well as a kid so you're introduced to it as it's something that adults have sometimes. You see it at church in this very um, very specific setting of it's a part of a, uh, a service. It's mm-hmm. a part of a process. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I went to some that gave people grape juice and some that gave people wine. Oh, okay. So. so what was your sense of it culturally? Did you think, oh, that's a sophisticated drink for adults? Or was that just like, I get juice and the adults get wine? <laughs> oh, actually, uh, so... So you actually prompted um, me to go back and remember when I did have, I think, my first wine. But um, in terms of like, I mean, I don't, I honestly don't remember. I didn't have a big association with it. But in high school, I studied French. And so part of our French lessons were that we learned about like French culture and all of that. And of course, a big part of French culture is wine. And then when I was... Um, I believe a senior in high school, I had the opportunity to go to France with some students from my French class and some other people. And there we got to go tour wineries. And since it's France and the drinking age is 18 and most of us are 17, we were able to like try champagne and try wine at places and things like that. Awesome. So I believe my first glass of wine ever was in the basement of a French winery. That's pretty damn cool. cool. And did it feel though like a forbidden fruit? No, but I don't know that I liked it that much. <laughs> I mean, it was fine, but it was, I mean, there was a little bit, like I was there with my friends from high school. We're all like, oh, are we allowed to do this? Okay, we're allowed to do this. Look at us. Like, yeah. cheers, taking our little, you know, point and shoot photo that we got developed a month later, um, you know, of us having our glass of wine. Yeah. Okay. So, so that was your first, your first taste. My first taste. And you weren't like immediately like, I want to be in the basement of a French winery every day guzzling this. Well, aesthetically, yes, but like taste-wise, <laughs> not, not necessarily. Wise. So when did you, when did wine come into your life as something that you actually were uh, like sought, like you sought it out? Um, you know, as I got older, I just started drinking it more and I was, went on and off of how much I was a fan of beer or mixed drinks and it was something that I wanted to know more about and it seemed like kind of a in some ways, like an easier thing to get into than say like, now I'm also very into cocktails, but that's not necessarily the easiest thing to get into when you're, especially if you're like just mixing a drink for yourself. Yeah. So, <laughs> so. Uh, was this at college then that you would start trying wine? Um, Probably after college. Okay. And yeah. was it when you were living with other people? Um, I, You know, honestly, I think it was when I was living on my own and that was a very easy like... I want a glass of wine and that's, there's not really a stigma associated with that. Whereas I'm not going to necessarily, at least at that time, I wouldn't have felt like, oh, it's okay to mix myself a martini. (laughs) (laughs) So you then would be having like a sip of wine at home. Yeah. Alone. And at that point, where is wine sitting in your cultural imagination? You've been introduced to it as really a part of culture by Mm -hmm. seeing, you know, your parents drink it at parties or whatever and seeing it as a part of religious services. Mm Mm-hmm seeing where it's actually made yeah, <laughs> and drinking it out of the barrel or whatever you did there in the, that basement. 
by the time that you are drinking it alone in your apartment, and I don't mean to <laughs> make that sound the way it did. No, it's just fine. <laughs> <laughs> but this is the kind of all of these associations that I'm getting at. I'm yeah. curious to, to see if you felt like it was, oh, the, yeah, this is just a part of life. I think it, you know, it did become a part of life. I, um, my boyfriend at the time was also into drinking wine and I lived very close to a very good wine store. Okay. And so I think probably that was part of it too, is I would go in and I knew nothing and had no budget, um, because I was a, you know, poor dancer. And so I would go and see like, what are the vaguely affordable bottles that have interesting labels? Okay, so you did go by labels. I did. Do you remember any of the labels that grabbed you? Was it uh, artwork? Was it animals? Was it colors? What grabbed your eye? Uh, Usually either artwork or titles. Okay. Do you remember the specific wines? No, but I probably will by the end of this podcast. (laughs) The curse of memory. (laughs) Uh, Okay, so now when did you... Was it then your, your boyfriend at the time being a little bit more of like a wine fan that made you interested? Because you are knowledgeable about wine yeah and you have collected wine and uh when i came into your life that boyfriend was gone uh, and i came into your life you were like you knew a ton about wine and i drank a lot of beer and had some whiskey every once in a while and drank horrible carlo rossi wine which started as a joke but then was just a part of my life uh-huh. uh, and you were truly the like i'd had it had a good you know glass of wine at like a non-profit fundraiser or something. Yeah. Uh, but it wasn't really a part of my life growing up at all. So you were the really the first person to introduce me to wine at all. Mm-hmm. And from my perspective, you were incredibly knowledgeable. So I'm curious when that happened. How that happened. Um, so I will say, I believe, I might be wrong, but I believe that I'm the one who introduced him to wine. So let's just get that oh, straight. Oh, please, yes. May, I might be wrong, but I believe that's true. But And then um, also... I I was lucky enough around that time to go to France quite a few times. And so there is just so much a part of the culture to just you go, you have the table wine and the table wine is amazing. And then I would come home and be like, okay, why can't I find amazing, inexpensive table wine here that has that amazing taste when, you know, in different parts of France. And so it was really getting that. So a lot of my wine experience is very French based at that okay. time. And then also we had some friends that um, would do these Wednesday night wine parties, not necessarily every week, but enough. And they were very into wine. Okay. And so that's where I'd say some of my really like deeper appreciation of uh, one of them had worked for a winery for a while, and uh, you know, they, to me, that was the level of obsession. I was like, "Oh, this is really fun and interesting, and a nice way to spend time with friends." Okay, to get together to talk about something. Sometimes we would be like, "Okay, this week we're all going to bring a wine. What grape should we all focus on, or what have we not tried that we want to try before?" And so it was a fun communal um, way to have an experience, but also spend time with friends. Okay, so this is all making a lot of sense, and there's so many things I want to follow up on. <laughs> so I, you went to France, and because it's France, they'd just be like, here, here's some amazing table wine, mm-hmm. and that made you more interested, and then you brought that to the boyfriend, and he got more interested in being obsessive about the details? Probably. I mean, I've, I've talked about this many times on this podcast before. I, I like a lot of things, but I don't necessarily get obsessed yeah. with things. Uh, but I know a lot of people who do, and he was one of them. Okay. So, so then I understand it suddenly becoming uh, a cultural thing for you or a community thing yeah. for you. But how interested did you get in for yourself? I know you're saying you're not naturally super obsessive, but somehow you did amass all of this knowledge <laughs> that I have witnessed, including this weekend. Not only knowledge, but opinions Mm -hmm. and tastes yeah uh and an awareness of you know history culture all of those things did you get that from the all these wednesday night groups you know i think that fostered some of it and that really helps me pare down so kind of my ideal red wine is has a little bit of fruity but also kind of earthy like what i like to describe as has a little bit of dirt to it um it's often a little bit, and and I like a lot of wines, but that's often, um, I would say, very often found in a blend. And I, it's one of those things where the, it's not necessarily like, oh, it's always this blend. Like, it's not always a Rhone wine, but I like a lot of Rhone, which is a section of France. It's a wine-growing region. 
Um, but I like a lot of other ones too, and it's always really fun to me. I'm like, oh, that's the flavor that I'm always looking for. And sometimes, and I think it changes. Yeah. But um, so I think that helped. I think the kind of the wine group kind of helped make me try more things and be willing to try and talk about them and not just the like, oh, this is the $5, $5 bottle of wine I can afford. Right. And it has um, a, which is what I've you know, been kind of limited to before. A that. beautiful flower on it and it's called you know (laughs) whatever exciting you know uh, wine times times 10 i don't know what uh what titles were grabbing you yeah Uh, but so you getting more familiar with wine finding Mm -hmm. your own tastes getting to know all of the different kind of ways to describe wine yeah again when we started dating Mm -hmm. you were a wine drinker Mm -hmm. occasionally a beer drinker your apartment was full of wine that you had collected (laughs) in France. And I think this is part of what gave me this real impression of like, she knows wine because you had been kind of collecting wine, hunting wine. I had stockpiled a lot of wine. So here's, (laughs) so here's a good story. Okay. Um, Is that um, one of the areas that I had gone to at least twice was the Alsace region, which is on the eastern side of France, kind of, uh, it is part of France, but it's an area that has gone back and forth between France and Germany. And um, there are some very specific wines there that uh, I really enjoyed, my boyfriend at the time really enjoyed. And there is a wine importer that a lot of us in this wine group knew. And so, like, if you saw that wine importer's name in the back, Kermit Lynch, uh, I believe. Kermit Lynch? <laughs> wow. Uh, like it was like, oh, okay, this is like one of the like he was a known wine importer. Okay. And I believe these are his, but I might be totally wrong. I think I am totally wrong. That's a side note. But it was a wine that we knew and they were on clearance at a wine store that you and I have gone to a lot called Big Top Liquors. Oh, and I like that Paul. a lot. Yeah, because it had a has that circus Big Top aesthetic, so you feel like you're buying alcohol from clowns. Yeah. That's great. And they had this bin section where you would never know, and it was always like half price wine in that section and it happened to be that this really really good wine that like honestly should have been easily 60 bucks a bottle was on sale for like 10 bucks a bottle oh wow and so we bought a lot of it <laughs> okay so that wine all came from uh, here in my mind that wine came from just combing france oh a lot of it came wine. from france too okay yeah. So he came from France and big top liquors. Yeah, yeah. Because once upon a time, it wasn't as hard to bring a lot of luggage home with you. Right. And so I would bring like easily a case, if not two cases of wine home from France with me. Okay. I want to know about that. I yeah. want to know about what excited you. Because to, to me, this is where it becomes, although you're not naturally a super obsessive person, this is where you are expressing it like... It's an obsession that I talk to people about on podcasts mm-hmm. where you get excited that you find something, you have to have it. I mean, it's not a, yeah, sure, I'll, I'll, God, I'll get a case of wine <laughs> from France. That's not just a real casual thing. Like, you have to be looking for something. You have to be excited about something. So tell me about what you got and why in France. Yeah, a lot of them, you know, it's okay. I, yes, I will accept I'm obsessed. <laughs> um, and my obsession has had peaks and valleys over the years, but I'll yeah. accept the ex- obsession. Um, I think part of it is there's that element of, oh, this is really good and this isn't imported. So this is something that I can't get unless I buy it here and bring it home. With yeah. Me. So th- that was certainly an element of it. It's very easy to forget when you're driving around that you have to fly home. <laughs> um, so I think the like the two cases wine time was the f- was that happened once, and then after okay. I was like, oh right, I have to get everything home, and I have to be able to carry it. Yeah, one case at so, a time. Uh, yeah, exactly. Or a small <laughs> case, or fit it in my luggage. Um, so that was a one time learning experience, I would say. And then also, honestly, part of it was the the tasting because. We would go around to different um, wineries and a lot of them like so our experience in solving was um, that you go, you pay your tasting fee, you get to, you know, they maybe have a few different menus and you can buy wine. You don't have to buy wine. If you do buy bottles of wine, you know, a certain number of bottles will offset one of the tasting fees. But um, a lot of the places that I went, at least this is my foggy memory of it. Yeah. Yeah. you would go and you would taste a little bit, but most of the people tasting were there because they were buying their wine for themselves. 
uh, because it, it wasn't a tasting room. It was going to the vineyard in the middle of this section of country and then this one over here. And so a lot of the people who are going to the ones, at least that we went to, were um, the local French people who lived there and were buying their wine. Oh, okay. Whether it's their table wine or their fancy wine or whatever. It was people buying their wine. They were just like going to the wine store. They were going to the farm. Yeah, but the farm say, was like the wine your, store. Yeah. That was like their big top liquors. It's just where they went to buy wine. Yeah. I mean, there are certainly wine stores also. Okay. But the places that we were going were, it would be like, I'm not going to the grocery store to buy my um, fisha chicken. <laughs> fisha chicken. <laughs> I don't need chicken. I don't know. Anyway, but like, I'm going to go to the farm. I'm going to go to the winery to get this chicken. <laughs> uh, okay. Um, and so there is sometimes a feeling... Um, uh, not necessarily of obligation, but a little bit of like, okay, you should at least buy one bottle um, to because if you've, especially if yeah, you've yeah. tasted a lot. And, I see. Like yeah. you, you, you're in like a small business setting. It's yeah. this person owns this vineyard. Yeah. And they've, you know, you've had a really good experience and you do really like it and you want to show appreciation and, you know, some of the wines you think you'll drink while you're on your trip and maybe you do, maybe you don't. And then suddenly you have two cases that you have to get home. Okay. So it was more just like stopping so many different places to sample a little bit of wine and like, <laughs> Oh, well it would be rude to not buy two bottles. Uh, it's that adds up to two cases. You weren't like hunting for specific kinds of wine or anything like that. I mean, we went to a few specific vinery, uh, wineries on purpose. Okay. Yes. And, and what were you looking for out of that? Um, so there were some specific Chablis wines that we were trying okay. to find. Um, so we did, or and some of it was just specific regions, not okay. necessarily specific um, vineyards. And this is part of what I'm interested in is like, what kind of nerdery led you to have like that level of knowledge to know, I want to fly to France <laughs> and find this region for this kind of grape? Trial and error. Okay. A lot of it was trial and error. Like Alsace was total error that I loved that wine so much and then went back again. And the second time was kind of like, well, I want to try this wine this time and this one because I didn't try those before or, oh, this little town next door is having a wine festival. So let's go. Um, Some of them were just like, okay, you're in the Loire Valley. You're in Sancerre. So you're going to drink Sancerre. And then you realize, oh, my gosh, this is amazing. I need to bring this home with me. And then sometimes it's like, oh, well. Let's go to the Cote du Rhone because we want to see that region and, you know, that'll bring us through this area or this area. So it's a combination of trial and error, pure luck, and um, specificity on region, but not necessarily specificity on vineyard. Okay. How much of it, your whole wine journey Mm -hmm. ties to France and visiting France and being able to speak French. How much do you think your love of wine would be present if you hadn't had this cultural association, if you hadn't learned the language? That's a really good question. I think it would still be there um, because one of the things that I've tried to do, because I mean, this was for a kind of a short number of years that I went to France quite a bit and then haven't been as much uh, for years. Yeah. As you know, <laughs> I do. I, 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 I do not secretly go to France upset. every year. <laughs> yeah. If you had made it to France a bunch and I didn't know, I would be a very bad person. <laughs> um, so one of the things that I've enjoyed is trying to kind of give, do my own self-knowledge, um, my own self-education with wineries of different areas. Uh, because, and also I think it's just become, you know, much easier and uh, as you'd have different sorts of wine shops available to you. So to really be like, okay, let me try some Italian wines because for so long I really only drank French wines or, you know, American wines, or they'd be like, okay, I'm going to try some South African wines. And then okay. I, Italian wines, I would say, is continues to be my weakest link. Yeah. Um, but then uh, certainly I got into kind of some Portuguese and Spanish wines and uh, New Zealand Sauvignon Blancs are some of my favorites. <laughs> so. Okay. <laughs> I'm just, I, I'm entertained <laughs> by this just, uh, to me, dizzying display of knowledge and preferences and exploration. We'll also just say, starting out by saying, ah, I don't know, I, wine, wine. I mean, you- I enjoy it, so I might as well. And here's the thing is like, I want to, and when I have a glass out 
in public or open a bottle or bring a bottle to friends, I want to enjoy it. Or if I know what they like or don't like, I want it to be something that they're going to like. And and I'm not a person who's like, I can only get people to, you know, I'm only going to get people a $50 bottle of wine. So apologies right. if I'm coming to your house. I'm probably not bringing you a $50 bottle of wine <laughs> because like I said, I started drinking wine when I could only afford $5 bottles of wine. Yeah. So, um, you know, so kind of finding that range and finding that it's not always price that equals quality. Yeah. But I also, I want to, I do want to have that experience that experience of joy of uh, discovery no that experience of joy of taste okay and smell and experience when i open something so i want to buy things that i think i am likely to like but i also like the experience of new things yeah and but i but to do that it helps to know kind of what i like because then i'm more likely to if i get something new have it be like ooh, this is really good i'm enjoying this this was a good choice rather than my then saying oh i'm just gonna get this i don't know anything about it and then like uh why did I buy my, you know, 14th Tempranillo when I don't actually like Tempranillo? <laughs> okay. I do like Tempranillo. It's just not my favorite. <laughs> so you want to be able to make an educated guess in hopes of discovering new joy. Yes, that would be a much faster way to say that. <laughs> <laughs> it's easier when you're summarizing. This makes sense to me because uh, we went to a couple different tasting rooms in terms of their aesthetic. Like we went to like a small like f- one person owned, the person who was giving us the samples told us that the uh, the person who actually makes the wine also puts the labels on the bottles. Like, mm-hmm. so we went to like a small indie place. We went to a, a larger, more corporate place that mm-hmm. was like a little bit more like fancy and upselling. Mm-hmm. And then we went to one place that was like clearly making very fun party wine. Like literally, literally the bottles had like sparkles on them. Yeah. And the way that the uh, tasting human <laughs> uh described the first one it was like a just a nice straightforward like white wine and she described it as a porch pounder as you know a wine yeah. that you're like hey this is what i'm having to drink tonight it's a perfectly good uh white wine and i'm just drinking away mm-hmm. you are not a porch pounder no you but are I have a drunk sipper a w- and an appreciator i am is I have drunk act- a wine called Porch Pounder before that. Okay. So. <laughs> I'm a sipper and an appreciator. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and I think to me that's one of the big things just kind of how, about how I enjoy wine or for that matter, um, any alcohol, like even like cocktails or whiskey. I like to, I like the taste of them. I like the smell of them. I like to see how flavor combinations work with each other. But I'm a, yeah, I'm always a sipper and appreciator. I'm not a, like, slam back a bunch of glasses of wine. (laughs) Okay, so even when you drank something called Porch Pounder, you drank it uh, slowly and appreciatively. (laughs) I I believe it it comes in a can. Surprisingly uh, decent for something called Porch Pounder, but I think I even put half of it in the sealable jar so I could drink it the next day. (laughs) See? (laughs) Slow appreciation, I think. (laughs) Have you ever or do you want to crush wine grapes? Oh, I'd love to. Yeah, so... I have not. Okay. But I, I would love to. I just would like that experience. Okay, I was very curious about that. Obviously, you're a dancer. You're a tactile person. Mm-hmm. So I was curious if that would be like a weird... I, I don't know if, uh, you know, putting two great loves together, uh, doing <laughs> impressive things with my feet and wine. Yeah. If that's like great. Two yeah. great things coming together. Or if you wanted to like, nope. I don't know if I would like it, yeah. but I would love to have the experience of it. Okay. Now, you're kind of lighting up. What do you think the experience would be like? I... <laughs> so as you said, I'm a dancer and I'm a very tactile person. And I'm just thinking about how much fun that would be. Because to me, it sounds like this is probably completely wrong. But like the feeling of when you're stepping on sand or like slightly mud where you know it's just like a little bit wet sand. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm just like feeling like just imagining that feeling coming in through your feet to me. Just I'm okay. so excited about it. <laughs> <laughs> so it's more about the feeling than the fact that you are uh, participating in wine creation. That well, would you excite know, you. If you watch the movies, participating in wine creation is nothing but a lot of fun. And it's usually a big party and everybody's happy. And then at the end, it's like suddenly you have giant group camaraderie. Yeah. So, uh, you know, if, if that automatically happens, I'll go for that, too. OK, you're going to believe the movies. I'm believe uh, the movies. All right. So I was asking a little bit about when you were younger, kind of what you thought of wine. How do you how are you feeling about where it's sitting culturally now? Because I think it has uh, shifted a lot really just in the last few years, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I will uh, lay out my perspective, which yeah. could of course be wrong, but it's my perspective of, you know, like I said, when I was younger, 
having like late night comedy shows. Uh, I think I think it was like the second show of this monthly show we did. It might have been the first show where I bought the Carlo Rossi because I thought it was hilarious to have this big jug with this you know funny picture of this guy holding grapes on it mm-hmm. and it became like a mascot of the show yeah. so like for me it was like a and still to this day people who used to come to those shows sometimes just send me a photo because they saw carlo rossi wine <laughs> uh and it was such a joke the idea that wine is a high culture thing mm-hmm. but there are these on the bottom of the shelf there's your Carlo Rossi jug. There's your Franzia box. You know, for years I did a bit talking about it, describing it as wine in a colostomy bag because it mm-hmm. comes in that weird, gross bag. But in recent years, it feels like there's that that separation between here's lowly wine and here's wine has like come together where to the point where like having uh, there's a bunch of great box wines that mm-hmm. are respected. There are wines that come in can that are like. Yes, we are. We're for light, easy summer drinking. And it feels like the wine industry, however, wine sits in our culture, has kind of, um, at least in America, maybe sort of come down from being as lofty. I think that's fascinating. <laughs> <laughs> I have a lot of thoughts. Lay on um, me. So, two, two uh, tangentially related thoughts. First, I was a wine snob earlier than I remember because I just remembered that one of my neighbors when I was a senior in college would keep Franzia in their fridge. And I was, I was like, come on, you guys. <laughs> uh, also, early on when we were dating, if I may share, yes, there was a show and you needed a jug of Carlo Rossi yes. um, to be picked up. And I was the one who was making the run to the liquor store. And I had one of those real moments of like, okay, can I do this? Can I actually purchase and i walk in and purchase car like i mean now i feel like okay sir come on do not be such a snob but i also like it hurt me a little bit to purchase that I was right just like okay so i've bought like some jameson or whatever whiskey and then this jug of carlo rossi and that will forever be like part of my purchasing history <laughs> <laughs> so that see that speaks volumes to me that you must have seen wine in a certain cultural light yeah that even buying this grotesque mockery of wine that is Carlo Rossi, that that yeah. felt like. Ew, to I you. mean, I think I already always felt a little judged, always at a liquor store by what I was buying because I was never buying like super nice things. Um, okay, and so I think I just was like, I can handle the judgment for buying the seven dollar bottle of wine, but like I don't know if I can handle the judgment. Oh, okay. I think it was more about the judgment. You were of you were afraid of employees at a place called Big Top Liquors. <laughs> I, I didn't go to Big Top for okay. that one. <laughs> yeah, that might have been I a fancier one. There. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I've bought some horrible stuff at Big Top Liquors yeah. and some decent stuff. Yeah, All right. Definitely. So you said that okay. that so those I agree are that, just like side notes. Yeah, and and big picture, I know I am saying this from my perspective, in my very specific like comedy perspective. Mm-hmm. You know, the comedy of contrast, high versus low. So I realize my perspective might be uh, warped. But I want to hear your perspective yeah. on, on where wine is and where it's been. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's a combination of things. I think um, I think a lot of it is honestly technology. Okay. Because, you know, there's the whole thing about like uh, wine can be corked if the cork doesn't stay good. And I don't know exactly like if how much of a problem that was. Most wines that doesn't happen to unless you save them for a long time then the cork goes bad but there is a while you know like oh, corked is a term corked is a term if a wine goes bad because too much air gets into the wine bottle because the cork itself that's supposed to provide the seal is letting too much air so in. corked kind of means the actual cork failed yeah okay yeah like basically the wine has started to turn to vinegar in the bottle got it um and there is um you know, a lot of research was done by people about screw tops and everyone's like, there's no way screw tops are good. And then other people are like, hey, actually, it keeps the wine like the aeration to lack of aeration better. Um, and I, I've 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 heard I've not done the research myself, um, you know, especially with like shipping glass is heavy. Yeah. And so sometimes I think a lot of it is just also means of production. Yeah. And so that does, I guess, speak to. Um, it being more universally available of not having it be kind of the high level thing, but you know, um, cause it'd be just of not having to ship the wine. And also I think for some companies that have really gotten into like the boxes, it's the environmental side of it Yeah, of what, 
what uh, version of container has the um, lowest impact both initially and recyclability and all of those things. So yeah. I think and there's a lot of factors that go into it. And to me, that makes a lot of sense of if a company looked and said, like, we're, we want to make this decision because we think it might be even be better for the wine to have an actual screw-off cap, mm-hmm. which used to be an utter joke. Like I literally put that in a show and it got great laughs for many that show I, I show I wrote in two thousand five. So we're talking <laughs> in the grand scheme of things relatively and that recently. Is a controversial opinion still. Still okay, but there's so many. Like I don't think that that used to be a big laugh. I wrote that dating show where it was supposed to be bad that the character bought a lower class wine, waiter twisted it off, and you're like, would you like to smell the cap? Mm-hmm. And it would get a big laugh. And I just kind of don't feel like that would get a laugh now because it would just be like, oh, obviously not sniff it. But yeah, wine, come on. Yeah. Uh, so it makes sense to me if people, if companies made the decision that we want to do it this way, we also have to market it to be like, hey, this isn't bottom basement. It's loose, relaxed, fun. It's you can drink it on your porch. You can, you know, kind of have a sense of fun and whimsy about it. Mm-hmm. But it's also not terrible wine. Yeah. yeah. And having I mean- to sort of make that cultural adjustment in through marketing yeah and i think it's been a long process and i think there's probably a lot of places that were like yeah absolutely we'll jump on board with this and others that are like no we're all about tradition and this is how we do it and we will continue to only use you know this style of bottles and this style of cork and yeah 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 cool uh so another cultural thing that i want to ask you about is we talked a little bit about your experiences with it as like you know you're in France and you're experiencing the culture. Mm-hmm. You have a community built around it of this is a reason for us to get together and really, you know, uh, share ideas about wine. Mm-hmm. We also laughed when I said drinking alone in your apartment. Mm-hmm. How do you feel about the where wine is sitting kind of culturally as a symbol of uh, fuck it. I've had a hard day. <laughs> I'm going to have a big thing of wine or like, you know, I don't know. I feel like there is a lot of, I'm depressed and alone, so I'm going to have wine. I mean, I think there's a lot of that joke, certainly. Yeah. Um, But one of the things, honestly, that I remember specifically thinking about when I was doing this um, and kind of having that moment of going, no, I can choose to have, I mean, this to me, this kind of sounds ridiculous, but it also doesn't because I think it's still in some ways a, a big stigma of like of thinking, no, I can, I'm making myself a nice dinner. I'm going to, you know, sit down and eat it. I can choose to have a glass of wine and that does not make me having a drinking problem to have one glass of wine by myself. Like, yes, it's great that to have it be a social thing, but it can also be that I'm just sitting here and drinking this because I'm enjoying it, just like I'm eating this food because I'm enjoying it. Yeah, because I mean, it complements the fish. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I think it, it's definitely there in culture, and I'm not going to say that it's it's not a problem because certainly it is for a lot of people. And, you know, there's lots of great moments with um, Olivia from Scandal. Olivia Pope. Yeah. Olivia Pope. Yeah. Giant glasses of red wine. I think there's just a lot, been a lot in culture right now of all across different kinds of storytelling of wine being a symbol of I have fucking had it today. Yeah. You know, Olivia Pope. That's when, you know, she's uh, from Olivia Pope to Cersei Lannister. Yes. <laughs> you have a sip of wine when you're like, <laughs> yeah, you know what? Uh, I'm done with this. Fuck y'all. I'm going to yeah. have a sip of wine. Yeah. And I have certainly had days like that, too. I'm like, <laughs> OK, I'm going to have a sip of wine now. Yeah. Um, You know. But it's all, I think, but I also think it is good to be able to enjoy things in moderation if that works for you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, how are how do you feel at this point about this sort of, mm, I'm trying to think of the right way to say it. There's the, the whole large collection of products that are about this sort of whimsical enjoyment of wine, like the... I cook with wine. Sometimes I even put it in the food. Yeah. Like, how do you feel about all that sort of cultural aspect? Um, of, it's not even really about wine. It's the way, you know, the, the world jokes about wine. Or Yeah. I, I like a lot of it. And some of it makes me just wonder if we're pushing the joke too far. And if it is like, okay, do we all actually have a problem? And we need to just take a step back. 
And then, I mean, but that's just like, that's my own personal, like, okay, sometimes that's too far for me personally, but it's, you know, not for somebody else. Yeah. Like, um, I have one of the magnets of, I love to cook with wine. Sometimes I even put it in the food and I, I love that. I think. I enjoy it very much. Yeah. I think it might've, your magnet might've been the first time I ever saw that phrase. Oh, wonderful. And, and, and now I see it a lot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I saw this weekend a little wine chiller purse, which I was like, okay, that is super cool because it looks like a purse, but it's insulated on the inside. So you can bring your bottle of wine with you if you're going to like a party or a picnic or yeah, something. Yeah. That to me is about community. It's about community and it's about style. And it's lovely. Discovery and joy of like, oh, looks like a, looks like this person has a nice purse. And then zip. No, <laughs> I actually have this great wine. Yeah. Uh, what is the best wine you've ever had? Oh, my gosh. I don't know. Um, goodness. What is one of your favorites that come to mind? And, well, I can ask a follow-up question if you'd like or if you want to think for a moment, whatever you want. Sure. Um, well, one that when I had it, I, I've since had it not, it did not blow my mind as much, but one that I had that at the time was like, oh, this, like, this is that earthy flavor I've been searching for. And I've been searching for it for a while and hadn't found it. Okay. <laughs> is uh, in the wines I was drinking. Because yeah. I think I was drinking the wrong wines. It was, no, no, here, I'm going to forget the name of it. But it was a California wine. It was a Petite Syrah. Okay. Which I do often like Petite Syrahs because they do have that kind of fruity, but they also have the earthy flavor. Um, I am also, I'm, I like champagne and general sparkling wines. Yeah. I really like, um, so... <laughs> If I may just uh, explain for a moment, I think you probably already know. Absolutely. So technically something can only be champagne if it's from the Champagne region. Yeah. And if it's wine from other parts of France, so what we would call here sparkling wine, um, it's called Cremant. Okay. Is the the verb, the noun for it. <laughs> Titles, parts of speech. <laughs> um, and uh, there are some Cremants from, from Alsace. So the Cremant d'Alsace. Uh, that I've had, which I've had both in France and I've also had some here um, and also are come out from the Loire Valley, which okay. are some of the best sparkling wines I have ever had in my life. Hands down. Sorry, Champagne. Okay. Cremant d'Alsace. Mm-hmm. Okay. Also a great Star Wars name. That's so great. <laughs> uh, Cremant d'Alsace. Uh, the follow-up question I was going to ask you about the best wine you had is, uh, is the best wine that you've had been like the most expensive, the most aged Probably not. Yeah. Um, I have some family members who like to drink wine, so I'm I'm lucky in that I've had some wines where I don't necessarily, like, haven't necessarily seen the bottle. So I feel like I've had some great wine drinking experiences where I don't necessarily remember what the wine was, which oh, is yeah. too bad. Oh, yeah. No, that, that I understand. I have had, uh, I think, some members of your family hand me uh, some really great scotch, and I don't know what that was. So they're just like, here you go. And I'm like, great. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> I will not question. Yeah. I won't ask to see the label. Exactly. Uh what is the worst wine you've ever had? Um, uh, probably Carlo Rossi. <laughs> I believe you had me try it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, so the, the Carlo Rossi thing was a joke, but then it was a joke that became a reality, and we would drink it at the after party all the time. And I remember we had a party for, I can't remember, it was maybe like the second or third year anniversary of doing that show. Yeah. Uh, that we did for a total of five years. And one of our nice friends who came to the show was like, you know, to treat you on your anniversary show, I've brought to the party an actual expensive bottle of wine. And it had been a long time since I'd had any wine that wasn't Carlo Rossi or other similar comedy junk wine. Yeah. And I remember tasting it and just, not thinking it was good or bad, but just like, this is a different fluid than yeah. Carlo Rossi. Yeah. Like, kind of like absolute gourmet burger than eating a White Castle that's been on the floor for five days. So, like, these are technically the same thing based on nouns, but yeah. they are not the same thing. Yeah. No. And I, I have bought a few of the other kind of, um, you know, and I, not to, not all cheap wine is is bad wine. I've certainly drunk a lot of three butt chalk from Trader Joe's. Yeah, but I have bought some other wines that are on the lower shelves, not realizing quite what they were. I mean, like, oh, it can't be that bad. Yeah, and then going, oh my gosh, yes, it can be, and <laughs> having to spit it out. Yeah, and it's not even like about like this is poorly done. It's just like it's not it's not made to be good. No, it's it, made to be a lot. Yeah, right. Yeah, it tastes like you took grape and mix them with bad grain vodka or something. <laughs> Which I've also done on stage. Uh, that's a whole different story. I've literally done that. 
Uh, if you could have a glass of wine with any fictional character, who would you want to drink wine with? Oh my gosh, so many people. <laughs> um, I'm trying to think of a really good one right away. Well, I mean, we're watching Game of Thrones right now, so yeah. I'm just going to go with Tyrion. Tyrion, yep. okay, yeah, because Tyrion is a skilled wine drinker. Yeah, and he's uh, calmed down a little bit, so I feel like we could sit and have the wine and chat, and I would just love to hear some of his thoughts. He has been a porch pounder uh, at yep. times during yes. the show. Uh, so is that partially because you know that he would be able to discuss the wine itself? And it um, would be a... Because there have been little... I, I know I haven't read the books. <laughs> he, even in the TV show, he's always like, this is surprisingly good, or this is from Dorne, or... Like, yeah. this isn't very good, but it'll do. Like, he comments, like, he seems to know the wines of Westeros and even Essos uh, quite yes. well. So yeah. you could have, like, a substantive wine discussion with him. That's true. And we could have, like, that nice little, oh, what about this? Oh, what about this? Oh, I don't like the pepper flavor. Oh, I really like the cherry flavor. And then get on to the, another part of the conversation. Okay. So it would be part of the conversation, but not the only goal of the conversation. Okay. Well, I got to ask now, what else yeah. do you want to talk to Tyrion Lannister about? I, I just feel like he's probably got some interesting things to say. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Uh, is there any, because you're a historian as well, how about a historical figure to drink wine with? Um, So I want, <laughs> I probably wouldn't want, I want to drink wine with Victoria Woodhull. Okay. <laughs> who was the first woman to run for president in the United States in the 1800s before women had the right, right to vote. Okay. And she also would probably have fascinating stories. And uh, I don't know if I had to guess, I'd probably drink whiskey in that wine. But. Okay. But you could offer wine. Yeah, exactly. And she could say, no, thank you. Yeah. And then pull out a big <laughs> bottle of whiskey. And then I would share that with her. <laughs> uh, if you got to create a wine mm-hmm. and it was going to have a label that you wanted and a name that you wanted, what kind mm. of wine would you create? So I, I've i been talking a lot about red wines. I do actually quite like white wine. Um, and most of the Alsace wines are white wines. Um, but I'm going to stick with red. Um, you drink more red just when we're at home and we're watching Supergirl and we're having dinner. I it, do. It is much more red wine than white wine. It is. And I and there's <laughs> I don't think there's anything wrong. <laughs> I with sound it. very resigned, don't I? <laughs> yeah. It is. You know, I I know how you feel. It it, it it's uh, you've got a vibe like you don't want to hurt white wine's feelings, and I understand that because I sometimes feel that way about things that are not actually alive or human. Well, and there's so many white wines I really like. Like there's some Sauvignon Blancs I really like, and there's this um, particular French wine that we've been drinking more of the last week so it's like I do have a little bit more of like white wine a little bit more in summer not always but a little bit um that I don't want to hurt their feelings but (laughs) for this one I'm gonna go with a red okay um I'm gonna go with kind of a um like a stone fruit uh like a a stone fruit yeah like peach or plum or something kind of on the front um, I got to get my dirt in there. Okay. Uh, you know, kind of that earthy feeling. So it's probably going to be a little bit of a blend. Okay. Um, and here's where I get caught up by the name. As much as I over the years have bought wines based on the label or the name, I also, I don't really like pun wines. Like okay. very specific. Oh, I'm going to like a book. I don't belong to a club, so right. that's a horrible example. But if you're but like, going to a book like, club, like I'll bring this like well-read <laughs> yeah. wine, or like you know, like I, there are there's a time and a place for t- pun wine, okay. and I will purchase it for those occasions. <laughs> but I'm not going to produce a pun wine, so it's going to be called. Um, uh, I don't know. Can we call it a chateau wine? Even though we don't live in a chateau, I mean, in some areas that's like a very controlled term. So we're going to call this. Um, would you want it named after yourself? Probably not. Maybe like family name style, but not like Sarah's Oak Tree Red. <laughs> like, no. Would you want it named after an animal you like? Possibly, but I was thinking more um, like trees. Okay, of course. Yeah, of course. You, you really like trees. Okay, so just would you want it to just be called like Oak? You know, maybe Oak Forest. Okay. That's that's way too boring. I'll come up with one better. But like if that were the vineyard name and then mm-hmm. there were the wine names within it. Yeah. Like I, I would settle with Oak Forest. Okay. Let me ask you a preference about 
wine titles and that might uh, help you. I mean, yeah. not, not that I'm rejecting, of course, it's your wine. It can be whatever you mm-hmm. want. But I have definitely seen like wine labels and in, in titles that I think like, oh, that's funny or weird or it's got a squirrel on it. So I want to try it. Yeah. But I come to appreciate like the one that we are drinking tonight, Owl's Lair. Mm-hmm. The label is is dark. The owl looks like he's like, hello there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's what the wine tastes like. Yeah. And I like that. It is, it's a darker, uh, you know, red. It's It feels like for sipping late at night while you're reading a book. So something about like Owl's Lair, like it's kind of dark, but it's kind of cozy, fits how the wine actually tastes. Yeah. And I think that I, I want to gravitate toward buying wines where it's not just like, Hey, it's a perfectly good Chardonnay, but uh, but there's a you know <laughs> a clown on it. Yeah, yeah. I guess I was thinking like, say we're gonna have the vineyard, and so we need to have you know, do we have our Petite Syrah, and is it called Petite Syrah, or does that one have its own title? Yeah. So, Oak Forest is the. It's a label. Label. Okay, nice. And what is the, the winery label? The winery label. Mm-hmm. What is the image on the overall winery label of Oak Forest? It's going to be a big old oak tree, but it's going to have some fun element with it, too. Like, um, yeah, maybe like an acorn dropping down or what if it's an oak tree having your animal? Oh, what, what, OK. Or a, pers- it- a person leaning up against the trunk of the oak tree, sipping a glass of wine, like oh, silhouette okay. style. So it's like instructional of like, this is where and when <laughs> to drink this wine. This is for relaxing and having fun. This uh, is for in a, like re- enjoying yourself. Yeah, this is for being under a tree, at least metaphorically. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay, so oak forest, mm-hmm. drinking under a tree, metaphorically. Is this L- too boring? Are you going to buy this wine? Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. L- uh, look for it in a what? Uh, I was going to say a grocery store near you if you live in California. Yeah. Okay. So get this. We're going to um, have a blend, and we're going to call it squirrels. I wanted another S word. I couldn't come up with one. <laughs> I was going to give it a good a good scroll name for you. It's going to yeah. be like a Syrah Cabin Sauvignon Blanc. Sauvignon Blanc. A, a Syrah Cab Sauvignon Blend. Okay. Um, How about Squirrel's Respite? Ooh, and I like it. just a squirrel in like a nice padded leather, red leather uh, oak room sipping yeah. a nice wine. Squirrel's Respite. I like that it. will be my personal wine. There we go. Under the larger Oak Forest label. There we go. <laughs> and I can't wait to drink it. <laughs> We're gonna move on to our how obsessed are you questions. So, do you think about wine every day? Um, this weekend, yes. <laughs> Normally, not every day. Not every day. Yeah. Uh, but you, well, you don't know more than once a week. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, so I guess like if we just have a casual evening at home, there yeah. are certainly nights uh, where you have nothing. Right. But if we're generally having a casual night at home, unless we decide to have cocktails, your go-to just, I'm just kind of having a drink with dinner is wine. Mm-hmm. Yep. But are there nights where you're just like, yeah, I drank the wine, but I didn't think about it anyway? I certainly try not to have those <laughs> nights too often because I like, well, I just mean like I want to enjoy it. Right. I mean, I, I honestly, I feel that way about water, too. I'm just trying to enjoy life. <laughs> okay. I feel like I have put you on the defensive about enjoying wine. No, but just... I just feel like I'm sounding so very earnest about enjoying everything. But I but I do, um, but specifically with, with wine, I do, uh, if I am drinking it and totally not noticing it, then I try to switch to water because I was like, okay, I want to at least enjoy it and taste it and notice that I'm drinking it. Oh, that makes a lot of sense. And it, I love a good drinkable wine and um, that I don't necessarily like stop and notice every sip because maybe then it's just kind of fun, punching you in the face kind of wine. Yeah. But but I do want to, it, it's like with food, I want to notice that I'm eating. Yeah. And I often eat very quickly and don't always notice that I'm eating. So I try not to do that with wine. Okay. And sometimes I succeed. So in a way, you were thinking about it every time, but it's not like you were reflecting on the vineyard and, and going off and daydreaming. You're just truly appreciating the wine. Yeah. So it's an experience that you're having, not just a fluid that's zipping into your mouth. Exactly. <laughs> okay. Exactly. So I'm enjoying that moment of flavor. Okay. Would you ever write a poem about wine? Sure. <laughs> what do you think would move you? Do you think what part of the experience would move you? You talked about the joy 
mm-hmm. of a good wine. You talked about the community of wine. You talked about experiences in France. Mm-hmm. What would move you? What part of the wine experience? Honestly, this conversation about wine. <laughs> no, I think I think really um, taking a moment to reflect on that whole process of um, smelling the wine and tasting the wine and feeling the wine and also, um, it's going to sound so corny, but it's so true, like also feeling like the sun that helped create the grapes that made the wine and like just that whole one with the earth process. Yeah. It would be a very nature-based one with the earth and one with the wine in my mouth style of poem. Well, that that makes a lot of sense because, I mean, uh, you could do that with, you know, beer and other alcohols, but like there's just something about like that specific vision of the, the you know, grapevines are aesthetically pleasing themselves, mm-hmm. having to see the sun shine down on them and, you know, in rolling hills, all of it is so aesthetically pleasing. Mm-hmm. That I feel like it's natural that a part of a love of wine would be this sort of like, it's very beautiful just in the mind's eye. Yeah, yeah. And it's beautiful to think about. And it's also so much work for the, you know, the vineyard yeah. who make the wine and to just kind of have a, an appreciation of that, that toil and that, you know, is the sun going to shine enough this year and are we going to get enough water and are we going to get like some horrible blight or something okay okay so uh the poem toil of the vines will also be available (laughs) at our at our vineyard that's right would you wear a shirt that says ask me about merlot um (laughs) you know in the right locations yes yes okay walking down the street or walking in the middle of like a bunch of wine tasting rooms no okay (laughs) Um, but I will say that I have come around to Merlot for a while. I was, you know, Merlot had a big backlash for a while there, for right. a long time there. Was, was Partially, it... perhaps due to the film Sideways. Because uh, it had been very popular and then Sideways made fun of it, right? Sideways made fun of it. It also, I think just kind of like it had, especially in California, had reached peak like, um, you know, oakiness and like big vineyard and all of that. And people were starting to discover, oh, there are other wines, okay. <laughs> and, you know, um, lesser known grapes and all of that. But, um, but yes, I think Sideways certainly came out around that time and really influenced uh, Pinot Noir. And I don't know how much it actually had an effect, but it seems like there was a true Sideways effect. Yeah. Um, so ask me about Merlot is a loaded shirt. It is a loaded shirt, but I have come around to um, often liking Merlots. Okay. And you would want to be, to wear that, where would you be willing to wear that shirt? Is it at mm. like a social event? Yeah. Okay. The right social event. The right social event. Yep. So you could have a fun conversation about Sideways and Pinot Noir. Sure. <laughs> and the fact that I actually do drink Merlots and I'm not ashamed to say it. Okay. I am not ashamed. Would you wear a t-shirt that says, I am not ashamed of Merlot? <laughs> All right. If you were at a, a nice dinner with friends and someone said mean things about wine or sort of the culture around wine. Would you push back at all? Like, I know mm. I know that you're not the type of person to just full out fight, but would you push back? It would or... depend on the context. Okay. If it was somebody saying like, oh, um, you know, in this situation, there's too much wine and blah, blah, blah. Like, I, I would try to read the conversation. Okay. And if, but if they're just like, girl, all wine is bad. All people who drink wine are total <laughs> snobs. Um, it's doing nothing good for anybody. Then I'd be like... I drink wine and this is what I think about it. Okay. So you would share your opinion in yeah. hopes of enlightening this uh, <laughs> this person who said Grr. Wine hater. Would you watch a TV show that's called CSI Wine? Um, I would at least check to see more of what it's about. Okay. <laughs> you would check so, local listings. Yes. Okay. Fair enough. If it really was just detectives and every crime somehow involved wine, would you watch that? I would at least watch an episode or two. I mean, I don't know if that's enough. It depends on the rest of the show. Okay, fair enough. If aliens visited Earth and you were the human who got to greet them, would you give them some wine? Mm, Yes, possibly not as the very first thing I did and possibly not as the very first fluid. Okay. Possibly as the second fluid. What is the first fluid? Whiskey? 
Water. Water. <laughs> Just taking a read on them, seeing yeah. how they're feeling. Was their journey long? Was it dusty? Okay. Um, you know, do they need regular uh, non-salinated water? Do they need seawater? Yeah. Would you ask them if they like wine that's fruity or earthy? I would. I would. <laughs> and see if they know what you're talking Red, about. Red, white. <laughs> rosé. Aliens can like rosé. <laughs> right. Rosé has become much more popular. Yes, it has. Uh, if your favorite wine was real and had a GoFundMe, would you give money to it? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> That's without question, you would support uh, your wine. I mean, I assume it's asking for a good reason. Yeah. If it was like, hi, I'm your favorite wine. I need to continue. Give me 10 bucks. I would say, sure. Yeah. Why not? Okay. Yeah. That's very giving. Uh, if you were about to pour the last glass of your favorite wine, but a bear stole the bottle, <laughs> would you try to get the wine bottle back from the bear? <sighs> The classic bear question. You yeah. faced it many times before. You know, if it's wine in a bottle, no, because here's why. In the ensuing grappling with the bear, the bottle's going to break. I'm not going to get that <laughs> wine anyway. Uh, maybe the wine will maybe the wine will drink it. Maybe the bear will drink it and be like, "Oh, cool. Next time we'll just split it." Okay. <laughs> so you hope for peace. You said if it was glass. If the bear stole your favorite box of wine, <laughs> would you try to get it back? I mean, I kind of feel like there's a problem with all of these. Because if it's a box and it's cardboard, you know, like the claws are going to rip the cardboard. And, and then it's still got that plastic, you know, uh, claws to be made inside. Yeah. So it's still going to tear that. Okay. So I, I think unless, you know, I can use my old distract with honey or like get really big and make it put it down gently yeah. on the ground. If there's a way for you to get big in a way that communicates, let's share the wine, that yeah. would be lovely. Mm -hmm. But I do really love this image now of a bear trying to steal a box of wine and just accidentally just ripping it open and just explosion of wine. Right. I want a big like Jack Kirby comic book cover of that. <laughs> uh, as you know, I ask everyone to make a noise to sum up their obsession. What kind of noise do you have for wine? Like what is that? You talked about that joy when you try a good wine mm -hmm. that you expected to be good and are like, yep, it's amazing. What does that sound like? Um, okay, here, we're going to we're gonna try it. We may have to do more than one. Okay. Okay. Uh, mm. <laughs> we're going to try another one. Okay. I'm not so sure about that one. See, I was thinking like the slurt, the little like, but that's <laughs> even worse. So we're not going to go there either. I'm just going to go, <sighs> because what I'm doing right there is smelling it tasting it i'm sitting under that oak tree enjoying the view and enjoying my wine now that is really interesting to me because that is a sound of uh satisfied expectation mm -hmm. like you kind of know what you want and it is delivering that rather than the holy shit yeah i didn't know wine could be like that so that's interesting to me that your noise is one of like contentment uh -huh. i mean it could be like um <gasps> Ooh, but I feel like that sound kind of counteracts the lower tones of the wine. I don't know. <laughs> I, no, I clearly going to have to record myself uh, and how I react to drinking wine more yeah. often. I well, as your partner, and you can tell me if I'm wrong. <laughs> I think that middle noise is the most honest about what your obsession is, because because the the idea here is not just how many weird noises can I make people make. The idea is what feels like your connection to it yeah. and it seems to me like that is honestly your connection of the ah oh, mm -hmm. it's good mm -hmm. does that feel honest to you yeah yeah it does like i'm i'm trying a thing i'm enjoying it a thing this is nice this is a moment of enjoyment okay so we're gonna rate your obsession okay on a scale of one to ten ten yes. being the highest one being the lowest uh where do you think you fall on wine a strong seven and a half Okay. Do you feel like you started lower when we started discussing this? Probably. And I went was, a little higher? I was probably a six and a half. <laughs> maybe a six. But I have realized that if you take the whole concept of wine yeah. and not just the drinking of wine or the collecting of not wine or just that like that need for the most knowledge possible about wine. Like I have no desire to be a wine taster. I am not a hyper super taster. Yeah. Um. So that side of it doesn't necessarily appeal to me, but just the understanding and enjoyment and cultural side of it and learning about other places and all that 
Yeah, definitely. Okay, cool. I think that is a good and accurate number. Uh, <laughs> so we will move on to our quick plugs. Where can people find you on social media? You can find me on Twitter at Sarah underscore Scrimshaw, no H on Sarah. And you can find me and occasional photos of wine um, on Instagram at Scrim Street. Yeah, good photos of wine, I think. Here's some quick plugs for this show, and then we'll do our final weird questions. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram is at Joseph Scrimshaw. You can follow Obsessed Podcast on Twitter and Facebook is at Obsessed Podcast. You can also check out the Star Wars podcast I co-host that is called Force Center. For info on all my upcoming shows and comedy albums, you can check out my website at josephscrimshot.com. You can also support Obsessed by backing us on Patreon. Full info on that, go to patreon.com slash josephscrimshaw. All right, final weird fun questions. Yes. If you could talk to any inanimate object and it would talk back, what object would you want to talk to? A tree. A tree. (laughs) (laughs) Is this too repetitive yet? <laughs> no. I think it is revealing the depth of your truest obsession, which is trees. What would you, uh, I mean, there, there are so many stories of, you know, trees with faces or, you know, trees that you can communicate with. What would be perfect for you if you just walked up to a tree and you're like, hey, buddy, because that's exactly how you talk. Uh, what would be perfect for you for the tree to say back? Or what kind of attitude? Would you want it to be like oh. a wise old tree? Or would you want it to just be like totally casual? Ooh. Ooh. Both. I want <laughs> I want different tree friends. I want one who's like the wise tree. But then I also want the trees that's just like, hey, how's it going? You're doing pretty well today. And I could say you're doing pretty well today too. Look at your branches moving around in that wind. Enjoy the sun. And then we would just go about our business. Okay. You would walk away from the tree, and the tree would continue to be there yeah. doing its tree thing, yeah. its casual tree thing. Exactly. Right. Fair enough. If the U.S. government made a stamp of you, what would you want to be doing on the stamp? Well, uh, sniffing wine <laughs> or drinking wine. Is that allowed on a U.S. postage stamp? Sure. Okay. Now, that is, I mean, those are two options, uh, and you've been going for a lot of two-option choices <laughs> on this episode, which I understand. Yeah. You want to keep your options open, but for the stamp. Yeah. Sniffing or drinking. Those are two quite different images. They are, but you know how the best new versions of stamps have actually four different versions of stamps. <laughs> True. Okay, so you want to be, you want a collection. It's not Sniff? enough to have one. Sniff, and then I could do red and white. Okay, so you're sniffing a red. Yep. Drinking a red. <laughs> sniffing a white. Yep. Drinking a white. Sure am. <laughs> okay, so look for those stamps as well, available soon at a post office near Oak Forest Vineyard, (laughs) (laughs) where you can get all the delicious wines with squirrels and trees on them. Uh, Final question for everyone on the podcast is, what is happiness? You've answered this a lot. Yeah. So let me ask it in a slightly different way. What is your happiest memory of wine? Mm, Well... If I may share from this weekend. Yeah. We had a wonderful moment uh, one afternoon when we just decided, you know, rather than going and doing another tasting, we're just going to take advantage of the fact that at some of these places you can just order a glass of wine. So we ordered a glass of wine, sat outside on their little um, patio area and watched um, the tourists of Solvang walk around. And it was beautiful and there was a blue sky and there were green trees and there were yellow awnings and marigolds everywhere and it was just uh it was happiness it was really lovely i feel like i experienced your uh ultimate happiness i was enjoying wine and just staring at a tree (laughs) a specific just it was gently moving in the breeze and i wish i would have been able to say hey how you doing tree Mm -hmm. and the tree would have responded it was a very happy moment. <laughs> right. Uh, thank you so much for doing the podcast. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Yeah, and thanks uh, for having this wine. I'm going to finish drinking this Owl's Lair. That is our podcast. You've been listening to Obsessed. Joseph Scrimshaw and his guest shared some stories with the rest. Rate five stars if you're impressed. Hi, Tree. It's kind of windy today, isn't it? How are you hanging in there? Oh, I'm okay, Sarah. I'm used to the wind. I bend. It's kind of nice. It shakes the dust out. It's like I'm doing my yoga for the day. That's really cool, Tree. I'm off to go to a yoga class. Have a good afternoon.